Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the developer and CEO of Astropad, Matt Rangi. Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I am. I'm very excited uh, about this Astropad. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like I've said this a couple times, but there's certain things that to me are like uh, these things that when I entered this world were like these institutions. And Astropad <laughs> to me is this like as somebody who uh, came from the at least amateur graphics sure. uh, world, and you know, I have a little somewhere right here actually i have a little uh you know wacom tablet and yep. mm-hmm. that to me was like the promise of this apple ecosystem with the ipad and being able to plug all these things in astropad was one of those pieces that i just thought was one of the coolest things ever and so uh i'm very excited to talk about this because it's a whole different world i feel like that you live in with all this hardware uh than a lot of the people i've talked to yeah yeah no definitely and thanks for the thanks for the kind words yeah so before we get into Astropad itself, uh, I'd like to give everyone your background that kind of led you sure. up to Astropad. So the three questions I ask everybody is, where are you from? Uh, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then just kind of a quick tour of what your career was leading up to Astropad. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I'm originally from the uh, Chicago area. Uh, that's where I grew up. And I also went to school at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, where I studied computer science there. So, yeah, I do have a background in, uh, in you know, computers, computer science. Um, fellow, fellow Midwesterner. Yeah, fellow, fellow. But are you in uh, St. Louis? I'm in St. Louis. So? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So not too far, actually, from um, Urbana-Champaign then. Yeah, no. Went to school there. Um, now I actually live in the Minneapolis area. So still in the Midwest, but no longer in the Chicago area. Yeah, a lot more snow now. A lot more snow, colder, <laughs> but uh, a lot of a lot of pretty lakes, though. So yes, like it. yeah, that is definitely true. And um, so what? led me to get in here with Astropad. Well, um, I really cut my teeth. I'm a long time Mac developer, long time Mac developer, um, really got involved in the shareware scene in the late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. Um, and developed some shareware utilities, sold some of those online on my own website, had some modest amount of success doing that. Just little little utilities one of them was ghost hunter and cast off they were like uh, ghost hunter was like a file explorer that showed invisible files this was on um the classic mac os oh wow okay uh, this so this was going back a ways so i've been a long time um dabbler on the mac also dabbled a lot with web design dabbled a lot with graph design photoshop that was really my intro to computers before i got into programming it was really kind of more on the graphic design side of things which is also why astropad was always very attractive to me as a, a product to work on because of that background i had had and that fun i'd had exploring around on the kind of art design side of things well and that that definitely fits with i feel like the uh at least the culture and ethos in early mac days especially absolutely absolutely and um so did that for some time um you know Kept working on programming and in college, like I mentioned, went to University of Illinois. And in college, I ended, ended up doing two internships at Apple. Oh, nice. Um, I, I worked on the uh, QuickTime team, 
on the QuickTime video pipeline and also on the iPhoto team. I guess now would be the Photos app today. Wow. Yeah. So like to interject really quick. Sure. No. QuickTime, probably what time period are we talking about? This was 2006, 2007. Okay. So like, I guess it was right before that. That was my entry into the Mac as a platform. Oh, cool. A friend's dad got a Mac and... I found out that you could make videos with QuickTime directly, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you still can mm-hmm. now, but it was definitely easier mm-hmm. uh, before the, the big switchover. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, that team, I guess is a big part of why I'm where I'm at today. So, uh, I guess thank you and your, uh, your coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a very small, small piece part to play, but yeah, there was, um, a bunch of teams, a lot of people working on QuickTime, you know, the audio team, the video team, the codec team, it's the math team. Yeah. There was a lot. I don't know what it looks like today. Cause that was quite a long time ago now, yeah. but there was a lot of us, uh, um, working on it. And I learned a ton. I learned a ton oh, about audio and video and how video codecs work and all those, those sorts of things, which would later become really helpful <laughs> for Astropath. I bet. Uh, which we can get to in a bit. But um, so I did um, I did that internship there um, and actually was in corporate housing where they like set you up with an apartment as intern because it's it can be really costly even back then to find something in the in the Bay Area. And I got um, paired up with uh, Giovanni Donelli. Uh, in corporate housing there, who was, uh, came from Italy to do an internship also at Apple. And um, that's how we met. And actually today, he's the co-founder with me of Astropad. So we met many years ago at, at Apple. And he had also had a similar background too with dabbling with the shareware scene on the Mac, been a longtime Mac developer, interested in the graph design side of things on the Mac. So we really hit it off. Um, and that's, that's how we originally met. But after that, he went, um, full-time at Apple. I decided that Apple wasn't the right place for me. I'd learned a ton. Um, it would, uh, it was always like a huge dream to be able to work there, but you know, I really knew my heart was in starting my own thing. Um, I had gotten a taste of it with the shareware business. Um, and I knew that if I went to a place like Apple, it was, well, I'd learned a I would learn a ton. It was also going to teach me how to work within a big company, yeah, which was going to be completely different than starting your own thing. Um, because the amount of polish and the amount of Apple's approach to products, while they make great products, you can't take that approach wholesale and try to do it as a really small company. Like Apple just has so many more resources. It's a completely different ballgame. It's a very different skill set, I feel like. Uh, a very different skill set, Yeah. And so I uh, ended up going to a startup that spun out of the University of Illinois, worked there for a while, went there instead because it was really small. It was under 10 people getting started. They were actually a venture capital backed startup, but still I felt like I would learn more about the early stages of a company going there than, than going to Apple, which I think was, was the case. And that also allowed me to stay in the Midwest, which I wanted to do. Uh, and, uh, from there did that for a while, ended up at Garmin for a while. Um, when I moved to the, uh, Minnesota area, Minneapolis area, my wife went to law school. So ended up working for a smaller offshoot of Garmin, working on kind of aviation, uh, iPad apps. Oh, nice. Which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, that was, that was really cool. A lot of fun to especially test, test it. Cause we had, <laughs> yeah. um, somebody there had a, uh, well, Garmin had a fleet of planes for testing stuff, but here in the Minneapolis area, they had uh, 
the the kind of the owner of that subsidiary had a plane he would take us up in to test the ipad yeah that's pretty awesome (laughs) that's cool um but from there i ended up um you know still knew i wanted to get into the entrepreneurship route that was really where my heart was didn't have a great idea for it didn't really know how to get there still um but i decided to start doing some contracting um and so i left garmin and did ios app development as like a contractor consultant and i really specialized in email apps oh interesting yeah and so years earlier i had developed a framework called mailcore that made it really easy to work with imap and smtp and other email protocols and the this was started on the Mac. At the time, I was I really wanted to build a Mac email client. Mm-hmm. I never got around to doing it uh, to be able to, but I did build out like the core of it. I built out like the framework in which you could build it on top of. And so I spun that out as open source. And over time, that became more and more popular, and especially became popular when the iPhone came onto the scene, because all of a sudden there was a lot more need for email clients written in Objective C. Yeah. Uh, And people wanted to do that on the iPhone. So I really had this business that was just focused on developing email apps and related things with with email Hmm. Um, and did that for a while. And that's actually how I got connected up with my co-founder again, because I saw that Giovanni uh, had left Apple and I'd always respected the work he'd done. And I had a really big project, a really large email client we needed to build. And I was like, I can't do this given the contracts I have on the on my own. I can't do this on my own. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if Giovanni is uh, is available. So I contacted him on Twitter. Of course. Yeah, of course on Twitter, right? <laughs> and he was like, Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, this sounds great. Let's let's work work together. And so we worked together for about six months and um, really enjoyed working together. Um, we were still doing contracting. But we're like, you know, this is this is this is so much fun. Uh, this is so much better than working solo. Like, let's make this an official thing. And so, what we did is we set up a new company together. Uh, Astro HQ is the the tech, the legal name of the company. So it was Astro from the start. Okay, it was Astro from the start. Yeah, and um, started working together in that company. Uh, he was in San Francisco. I was in Minneapolis. So we've always worked remote. And uh, worked on email apps together, but both of us knew that while this was better because we were we were self employed and we did enjoy that more, we weren't the world's greatest contractors. Like, we <laughs> just we just didn't love it. We weren't great at getting new business. Like it just wasn't uh, it wasn't totally our cup of tea. So we knew that long term we wanted to get another product business, but we just still didn't know what kind of product to build. And um, that's where Astropat comes into the picture. Um, because we bounced for over a year, we bounced around different ideas, you know, like before we would work on our contract stuff, we'd have like a, it was Skype at this time. This is before we were using (laughs) Zoom. We'd jump on Skype and be like, uh, you know, what ideas do you have? We bounce around ideas and we just never had anything that really had legs to it because we wanted to find an idea that could support both of us full time. Right. Ideally. Right. We didn't think we'd be able to, we, we figured it would take some time to get there, but, um, 
so uh, many ideas got rejected for that reason because we're like, yeah, this is cool, but I think it's too small, too hard to make money on the app store with this. Okay, we're not going to do it. Um, and actually, we stayed totally away from the email space, even though we were pretty much experts at email at this point, just because we knew how hard it was to compete with the built-in and the free stuff. Like, Ah, uh, okay. It wasn't that you were tired of email. It was... Uh... Well, there's probably some of that too. <laughs> we were also... It would be fun to work on something new, but we just didn't... Uh, I had come around that if you were going to do your own email service, you were going to have to you were going to have to build out the server side component as yeah, well. Like what Hey did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey is a great example of how how even back then I think you'd I was seeing you'd have to do it. Um, because this was after Sparrow, that great email yeah. client that was uh, acquired by Google and it just didn't look like you could it was going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard uh, to do that. Now, that's not to say that people aren't able to do it. There are. There's like Airmail, which has done a good job with it. The newer one, MimeStream, which is great for Gmail. So it can be done, but I, we just knew we knew a little too much. We knew how <laughs> difficult it was going to be. And as two people, um, neither of us with tons of backend web experience, we're like, nah, we don't really, like, we don't want to run an email service in the backend for it. Like, we just, right. that's too much. That's too much to chew right now. Um, so we looked for other ideas and one day Giovanni went for a run and he ran past an ad in San Francisco for, um, the Microsoft surface mm -hmm. and on it, it had Photoshop and was showing it with a pen and he came back and he was like, you know, that's so cool. Like I, I, we've both tried to use, you know, I've tried to use a Wacom tablet in the past and I had tried to wake on Wacom, however you say it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Wa yeah. Wacom tablet. And I had used one as well. And we were both like, yeah, you know, we'd always wanted to use them to draw, but they're so frustrating to learn how to use. And then you did have the higher end Cintiq displays, the actual pen displays you could draw on, but those were priced so high right. that it was only like the, the most pro artists could afford those. And we were amateur at best, just playing around with this stuff. Like we couldn't justify something like that. And already the, the standard kind of black slate Wacom tablets could quite quite expensive i mean a couple hundred bucks mm -hmm. yeah um we're like you know he was like you know is there a way to do this with the ipad and i was like that's a great idea let's investigate and that's what started the the journey into astropad that was where the initial product idea where where it came from and this was this was before the ipad pro and the apple pencil right yes this was way before this was 2013 okay so we were making a bet that uh, there were some third-party styluses at the time. There was right. Adana was the big one. But they were all capacitive and they didn't have pressure sensitivity, right? That's right. Yeah. There was also, I don't know if uh, Pencil by 53 was out yet or not. I can't remember. Um, they were capacitive. They didn't really have pressure. Uh, well, wait, I take that back. Some of them did have pressure. Oh, they were all capacitive though. Yeah. How did they do that? Was it a Bluetooth? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Bluetooth. And there was kind of almost like a little spring to the front of the stylus. And like, depending on how much you'd press down would, would generate um, the pressure. Right. Yeah. That's how my, my Wacom tablet, my really cheap one works. It's kind of a similar, it's a spring tip. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And so these, uh, they worked pretty well, actually. They, like a Donut had some, some decent stuff. There was a Donut one that we used for a long time but we were betting that in the long run that 
these third-party styluses were going to get better. That was our hope. The iPad was going to get more powerful. The styluses were going to get better. Um, the other thing we also really liked about the project, and this goes back to what we what you mentioned earlier about the early days of the Mac, was really about a lot of creativity and graphic design and um, you know filmmaking and that whole that whole creative uh, professional creative part of the Mac. We were really inspired by that, and we had seen a lot less of it on the iPad. Yeah. And we were disappointed by that. There was a lot of just like casual games and like browsing Facebook. And we're like, um, you know, we, we want to see so much more be done with the iPad. So we were pretty inspired to work on something that we wanted to eventually turn into like a professional caliber tool, uh, Astropad, so that you could use the iPad as a drawing tablet with your Mac. So that was really exciting for us, too, because it was so different from what was being done on the iPad at the time as well. Man, so... I guess he had that idea was yep. the first thing. Uh, all right, let's plug these into each other and see if we can even get them to talk. Like, yeah. it feels so daunting to me as a, a thing to even try and figure out. <laughs> yeah. So this is where our backgrounds really came in handy. We didn't know it yet, but one of the things that Giovanni had worked on at Apple a lot was also networking. Like he had done all the parental filters ah. on Mac OS and actually that runs on iOS is now well too. So he had done a lot of no, low level networking and I had done the video codec stuff on QuickTime. Yeah. So we didn't realize it yet, but this was going to become super important to Astropad because what we did is we started prototyping just pulling things out and just like, okay, can we, can we use like the Cocoa framework and UI kit and just kind of cobble things together as it is and uh, send some data over the network and, um, you know, create this, this nice drawing experience where it's mirroring your Mac screen on your iPad. Well, pretty quickly we realized why others weren't doing this. <laughs> it was like very like the latency was no good. The image quality was terrible. It wasn't fast enough. Like none of it, like as soon as we tried to use like off the shelf parts, um, like we tried to use core graphics for, you know, saving a JPEG and sending it over the network to the iPad. Right. Didn't work. It was just far too slow. Mm, yeah. Far. It was just a terrible experience. And we're like, this is never going to fly. But we really became pretty obsessed with the problem at that point. We're like, okay, now this is a major challenge because <laughs> we think this is something really valuable. We're excited about the space. And also now it's this crazy technical challenge. Yeah. And so we just repeatedly worked on it and started cutting away parts and replacing it with our own uh, custom code. Uh, eventually, going all the way from starting with like UIKit and Cocoa and trying to use off-the-shelf frameworks, all the way to the extreme of Giovanni built a custom network protocol on UDP that was super low latency, really designed for a local Wi-Fi network. And then on top of it, I built a custom video codec. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we uh, really optimized for what we were doing. And combining these two things together, the, the network protocol and the video codec, we called it Liquid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As the custom tech that still to this day powers Astropad and also our other product, Luna Display. It's what sits underneath it and it's what allows us to give really high quality and really low latency. And it was a massive effort. We spent a year and a half uh, developing it. Was that, were you still contracting at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good question. And so how it worked is we started one day a week 
working on Astropad. And Astropad was the code name for it. Like we, <laughs> it's so perfect though. Yeah, everybody loved it, so we stuck with it. But because we were Astro HQ, that was the company's name. Um, now we actually go by the name Astropad instead of Astro HQ. Astro HQ is kind of like a <laughs> yeah, it's a Twitter handle at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not uh, Astropad is what we officially go by. Um, our legal name is Astro HQ, but nobody cares about that. But yeah, we were like, oh, and it's for the iPad. Okay, Astropad. Okay, right. that's gonna be the the code. Na- that's gonna be the name for our repository. Okay, sweet, done. Uh, <laughs> it's stuck ever since. And over the course of that year and a half, we kind of transitioned from one day a week all the way up to kind of more like four days a week on Astropad, one day a week on on contracting. As you started feeling more confident that this was going to pay off? Yeah. As we started to see that it was working well, that we were seeing, um, we were really seeing the product come to life. And a major, major turning point for us was through one of Giovanni's friends, we got connected to um, an artist that worked at Pixar. Okay. And we went out to see him and we showed him a prototype of what we were doing. And I remember he was playing around with it. And this was, again, this was before the Apple Pencil. So this was using the third-party Adonit stylus. Right. And he was playing around on the iPad. And this was this guy was a heavy Wacom Cintiq user. And so we show him this, the Mac connected to the iPad, and he's working on it. And he just looks at us and he goes, guys, this is going to be a really big deal. <laughs> and we're like, whoa. Chills down your spine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like a Pixar caliber animator just told us like what we're working on is going to be a big deal. So in that moment, we really doubled down on working on Astropad and we really cut back on contracting. We even got rid of one of our clients and we went from two clients down to one client just to be able to have more time to work on Astropad because we're like, okay, this seems like our opportunity. We want to get into our, we want to develop a product business. This seems like our time to strike. Um, but we still needed some contracting to keep the lights on. Right. That's really yeah. how we saw it. So during this time pre-release, did you start like seeding it out to people for beta testing? Because I imagine there's a lot of variations in hardware that you're having to deal with. Yeah, we did some, not, um, not a ton because the other thing is it was really limited the number of people that you you had to have a Mac, you had to have an iPad, and you had to have a third-party stylus, which was a pretty yeah. unique combination to find. So there were some people that we did find that we did send it to, but it wasn't a ton. Uh, it was actually after our first release that we found out tons of problems that we had to rapidly fix. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't until we got that first release out there. Now, another interesting thing that Eventually, you know, later in the story, I think this is going to really come back, but mm-hmm. uh, you were building all of this on Apple platforms, you know, purely, yep. right? Which yes. it sounds like that was the right call because <laughs> just figuring this out at all was a huge problem. Yes. And that was your domain that you were both experts in. Yep. Was like that person at Pixar, I guess that that meant that that person was using a Mac, but yes, a lot of them I imagine are using like they have like a custom, some Linux OS distro that they make themselves that interfaces with all their crazy software right yep yep they do yeah were you at that early point were you thinking about how much you know specifically being on the mac was a limiting factor or was it kind of like we just have to get something that works uh in the first place well it's definitely as you said that early on it was just we need to get something that works 
um, because the problems we were dealing with, with like the network latency, the image quality, getting everything to be responsive enough that you could actually draw on it was so difficult that had we been working early on to try to make it cross-platform or another language we weren't familiar with, because both both Giovanni and I at that point had spent so much time writing Objective-C. Like that was by far, uh, and the Coco and UI kit was by far the, the frameworks we knew the best. So we could move fast. We could move right. really fast and we were really comfortable at that. And the technical, the other technical problems were just so difficult. Like we wouldn't have been able to juggle both at the same time. Yeah. So early on, that was that was the right decision, and we did run into that um, pretty quickly. That people were interested in for Linux and Windows, um, but it was more than more than we could do. Like we <laughs> uh, actually after after the iPad Pro came out, which was a really really big deal for us because it was like, oh my god, here is like the stylus we've been dreaming of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that launched with the Apple pencil, right? Yeah. It launched with the Apple pencil and we're like, Oh, this is, this is exactly, we were in the right spot at the right time yeah. for that. Cause at that point, Astropad was pretty mature. Uh, we had worked out a lot of the kinks, a lot of the bugs, but one of the biggest problems was one, the iPad really wasn't big enough. We really wanted a bigger iPad. Okay. Problem solved with the first iPad pro. <laughs> yeah. It was that like 12 inch monster. And then a really good stylus with the Apple Pencil. And the Apple Pencil was amazing. It was better than anything we dreamed of for uh, for a, a um, iPad stylus. And so that unlocked all sorts of potential. And after that, Disney became pretty interested, too, in what we were doing. And we actually flew out and met with a bunch of Disney animators, which was super cool. Man. Oh, um, man. I Imagining you have a similar background, uh, it sounds like that must have just been like kid in a candy store oh my gosh, this is this hallway where XYZ was made kind of feelings. Oh yeah, it was so cool. And some of the, we met some of the am, uh, animators that had been working on Frozen. Oh been man, working on, that's um, awesome. Some other, and, and it was funny, like we test, when we test Astropad, we'll just kind of like doodle. Right. <laughs> and then these people were drawn like Mickey Mouse as their doodle. They were just going, <laughs> and there was this like beautiful, you know, beautiful drawing of Mickey Mouse or or they did some of the Frozen characters too. Um, and they were playing around in Photoshop. We actually saved uh, what they drew uh, too. And oh, that's we have awesome. Ar- archived away in Dropbox because <laughs> like these were just like throwaway, throwaway drawings for them. But for us, this was like precious. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe a Disney animator drew one of the Frozen characters oh, man, in Astropad? Awesome. And, um, and, but yeah, they were asking pretty early on about Linux support because as you said, they do like, quite a bit of stuff quite a bit of stuff on Linux. Uh, and we knew that was really, really interesting, but we were a, a small bootstrap team. At the time we went to Disney, there was three of us. <laughs> it was me, Giovanni, and a support person we'd hired. And all your expertise was in Objective-C and that was uh, Apple frameworks. Yeah. 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 We were like, we have no idea how we're going to get from this to... We have this this massive code base that we've written over two years at this point. Like how how are we going to get it to other platforms? Um, so we didn't we didn't really we knew we needed to, but we didn't really I wouldn't say wouldn't worry about it. We did worry about it, but we just didn't know how. Yeah, it's a such a big problem. You kind of yeah. have to let it live out in the future, in some exactly in the fog. Exactly. So I guess we haven't talked about the actual the actual launch itself. So from the get go, this was this was a subscription. No, it wasn't. Oh, no. okay. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, so the first, first, first version 
actually sold on the Mac side of things. The iPad app was free. And then we ah, sold right. it on the Mac for $50. That didn't last very long. Um, Apple didn't love that either. And we actually found that because Apple at the time was really interested in what we were doing. Like when we submitted the first one to the App Store, right away, we got interest from them. They were like, this is very interesting. Have you thought of charging to the App Store? We'd love to feature you <laughs> if we charge you through the App Store. And so eventually we flipped it over and we did charge through the App Store. Because it wasn't in the Mac App Store at all, I assume. No, it couldn't be because a bunch of the APIs we needed to right. use just weren't going to be allowed on the Mac App Store. Um, so it's always, and still to this day, it's like a separate download for the Mac app. Uh, and the, and then we switched it so that the Mac app was free and the iPad app was, I don't remember how much we charged. I think I want to say $30 up okay. front on the, on the app store. And that, that really helped, that really helped grow sales for us. Switching your sales pipeline to basically ingest, uh, from the iOS app store side where yep. there's way more Absolutely. people. Way more people, yeah, way more people willing to buy and just the convenience of the app store is huge. Yeah, that makes sense. But it was uh, paid up front at first. It was paid up front, yeah. So since, well, I guess, so for the initial launch itself, how how did that actually go? Uh, you said that was when you found out there was some issues? Yeah, so um, in terms of the launch itself, it went really, really well overall. It was really fantastic. Uh, we really lucked out. So about two months prior to launch as well, Giovanni focused on finishing up the app and there was quite a bit of polish to add to the app as well. Uh, and if anything, we still over polished as well. Like we, And I guess it's apps too, isn't it? Because it's, yeah, there's, there's a Mac apps. app and an iOS app that have yeah. to, yeah. Yep. And they, you know, communicate very tightly over mm -hmm. the Wi-Fi network um, or USB. If you have a USB cable, you can plug that in and do that. Um, yeah. So with the, we, about two months prior uh, I really started a full-time marketing effort where I put my time less in development, more onto marketing, developing a website, and also putting together a really nice video. And we knew we needed to put together a really crisp, clear video because what we were doing was, well, it was pretty novel. I mean, this wasn't something you typically saw with an iPad app. Most right. iPad apps were standalone. They didn't connect and work in conjunction with a Mac. And so we put together a really nice um, video to show off what we were doing with Astropad. And that proved to be a very good use of our time because that video essentially went viral ah. when we launched because people were sharing it all over the place on social media. Like, hey, check this new use of an iPad out. Check this out. This is really neat. And people were just sharing the video. So we got tons of coverage from that. We got tons of press coverage as well from that just because it was something really new. It was something really fresh. We had a great video showing showing it off. And so people shared that, uh, on, we did have tons of new bugs, uh, tons of new bugs that, you know, we had never seen before. Thankfully, you know, both of us at, at this point are really experienced on the Mac platform and, and iOS. So we were relatively quickly able to fix a lot of those. Um, did you have, uh, like a sort of support system already set up? No, it was just a Gmail inbox at that point. Just like that was the extent of our support, just like email support. And it went to a Gmail inbox, which within a couple of months, we quickly outgrew. Yeah, I imagine. I guess I, it's interesting. Like on one hand, it's like overwhelming when I think about what you had to do in terms of how close to the metal you had to get on everything. But then the more I'm thinking about it, like anything I've ever done that 
is pseudo unique in terms of interactions with different pieces of hardware or software. Part of what makes support so hard is that I'm I'm sitting at the top and I'm hooking together all these complicated things. Mm-hmm. But you were mm-hmm. actually building the lower level things, so I bet it actually helped. Like you could probably identify and fix problems almost faster because you weren't trying to learn you know, what is Apple doing here in core animation that could be causing this to happen? Oh, yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was very, very, pretty much for us, we'd, we'd get bugs in two places. Um, well, three places. Um, it would be the input system when you would draw, like mm. rendering out the, the the drawing on the Mac side of things as, as you draw on the iPad, making sure the pressure was right and making sure the tilt and all those different things were right. We spent a lot of time working on that. Uh, another area was when we hit the GPU because our liquid codec as well is partially GPU accelerated. Okay. So we have some, some special kernels that run on the GPU. Um, and once you get that low level, you start to run into GPU specific yeah. issues. So that, that, that is the one downside of being that low level is the hardware becomes less abstracted and you have to look at more like per okay we need to get the that exact model mac with that exact model gpu to reproduce this problem i guess that's another advantage though to going apple only uh because the amount of SKUs you have to support is just so much less definitely and it and it was already really demanding on our team at that point and then the other big class of bugs that still we really struggle with this to this day is Wi-Fi bugs. Mm. Um, but that's really, really hard because it often comes down to like the Wi-Fi router they're using. Yeah. And it's like, well, you don't have a great Wi-Fi router. So many settings and yeah, there's configured weird ways. And yeah, so that, that gets to be pretty tough, but yeah, we, we, we are working at a much, much lower level generally. Nice. So, so the launch went well, seemed like it was attracting a lot of attention um, mm-hmm. in, you know, businessy speak. It's, it seems like there was definitely product market fit in terms of... Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The launch told us it was there. Yeah. I, clearly, this was, as that one anecdote from the guy from Pixar, I think, foretold. It's like, yes, there's something yes. special when you see it. You're like, oh my gosh, this thing I know and this thing I use can connect in this way. And it just like unlocks all these ideas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Totally. So at some point you switched over to a subscription model. Yep. What drove that and how did that go? Yeah. So, well, early on also to the, with our early launch, while we had a ton of eyeballs on it, financially it wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't outstanding. Um, And we had a period after that where, you know, it wasn't clear if we were going to be able to keep doing this to be able to sustain the two of us. Right. Um, Putting all of your time into it. Exactly. Yeah. So we, this was a couple months after launch, the excitement of the launch had died down and looking at kind of day to day, month to month sales, it was like, I don't know that there's enough here to sustain this. But at this point we weren't doing contracting. We decided to go all in and we used the money we had gotten from the launch to pay ourselves. I think, uh, I forget how many months we could go. It was like four months, something like that, that we could go. And we're like, okay, we're going to use this time because, again, this is a huge uh, opportunity that doesn't come along frequently. Yeah. So we need we need to go after this. And so the first thing that helped was switching to the App Store. That helped bring things around as well. And then we we continued to do improvements to the app. But then it became clear that we were also pretty limited by the upfront pricing because – it's 
all things considered, it's still a relatively small market because you need somebody that has a Mac. You need somebody that has, at that time, an iPad Pro. Uh, well, actually, at that point, the iPad Pro wasn't even out. But later, they would need a Mac. They'd need an iPad Pro. They'd need an Apple Pencil. Like, there's not a ton of people. And be somebody who would want a, a tablet for yeah, you know, drawing exactly, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So we knew we really had to raise our prices to make this sustainable long term. And we knew that with because of what we the app store that the app store really drags down prices. And even what we were charging at that time, $30 was exceptionally high. Yeah. Yeah. For, for an iPad app. And so we knew that if we were going to be able to get like professional class pricing, like we weren't going to be able to do it with upfront pricing. So we knew we had to raise our price and we knew we had to raise our price to continue development and to be able to support ourselves long-term and to build a team around it so we could make the product better as well. Right. To make this whole thing sustainable. So about the same time, subscription pricing just started to really come onto the app store. This was, uh, when was this? 2017, 2016, I think we were working on it. Okay. And Apple just announced there were still some restrictions around it, but they were starting to open up the subscription pricing for apps. Yeah, because it used to be like just like news apps or something. And just then, like services. Yeah. Like you really had to have a strong service component. So we saw this as an opportunity. We're like, you know, everything appears to be moving towards subscription. This seems to be a really good way to sell a um, professional class professional creative tool. This is what Adobe's been doing. This is what everybody else in the creative space is moving towards. I think it makes sense for us to move towards this as well. Uh, and then it also makes it more accessible too, where if you only want to use it for a couple months, you can just pay for a couple months right. pricing. Cause we have a lot of people that do project-based work. They can just pay for it a couple months. Um, if you want to use it more, you can pay for the annual. And this allows us to charge a higher price, but still a price that's fair for our customers and is going to allow us to sustain it long term. So we knew this was something we had to switch to. And we spent about a year working up towards it. We developed a completely new um, spinoff of, of Astropad. It used the same core tech, but it had way more features. We essentially took all the amazing feature ideas that people had had from using our first version of Astropad and brought it into what we call Astropad Studio. And that's our subscription version. Okay. And so it had things like magic gestures, which is a way of using your fingers to control what the pencil is doing. So if you use just the pencil by itself, it draws. You can do one finger down and it can do a different action. So by default, we have it set to an eraser or two fingers. That could be by default, it's right click or three fingers. You can do multiple fingers at the same time. So that was a really cool feature we added. Was that... As I feel like at this point, that's almost like a convention for uh, drawing apps on the iPad. Was that at that point? Yeah, this was totally new at that point. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, because it's very yeah. intuitive when you're using, um, I mean, like even Photoshop, you know, just recently came coming over to the mm -hmm. iPad. It's not quite as intuitive as others, but it has the concept of, you know, you're using your fingers to hit a button. To It's like the equivalent of your modifier keys. Yes, yes. And we were one of the first to do it, if not the first to do it. That's cool. Um, I, I I think we were the first, but, you know, hard to say Yeah, for it sure. could have been multiple people come out with the same thing at the same the time. The same but. idea at the same time, right? But that was a pretty big deal for us. Uh, there wasn't a ton, like, we were pretty early on in both app subscriptions and doing stuff with the Apple Pencil. Yeah. So this was a lot of new territory we were breaking 
with Astropad Studio. Um, I remember at the time, uh, I think it was Procreate really pioneered the idea of two finger tap to undo, three finger tap to redo. So yeah. we adopted that convention as well. So they're, they're another one that today that seems like so obvious, but that wasn't always a thing either. Like somebody had to come up with that. I feel like around that time, I don't know if it was because of the the pro or it was just happened to be around the same time, maybe a little before, um, kind of like what you were talking about before at first with the iPad, it didn't, it wasn't a very much of a tool. It was like a consumption mm-hmm. device. That was always how we'd refer to yep. it, right? This is the consumption device and the Mac is the production device. And it feels like there was a crop of, of innovation happening all around this time with you and, mm-hmm. uh, with procreate yep. and a couple others that were really starting to like play with, how do we use this totally different input uh, paradigm to get mm-hmm. similar creative results? Uh, and mm-hmm. it's really fun as somebody who didn't live through the early days of the Mac. Uh, when I came on the scene, it's like, these were all conventions that were set in stone. Mm-hmm. It was fun to get to like witness those being sort of born. Yeah, no, that was super. And it was super fun to experiment with that and be able to build on that. And it's flattering too, to see adapt apps adopt now similar things too. Like one of the signature things we'd have in um, Astropad was this like ring that you'd move around. And this ring was a way of, it was also kind of like a modifier and we could show and hide a sidebar. That was something new. And now you'll see other apps with that as well. Other drawing apps with that as well. Photoshop even has something similar. It's like a ring as a modifier. And that's something we also came up with with Astropad as well. That's awesome. And so we put all this stuff together and that was Astropad Studio. And that was our professional version of Astropad. And that's what we started charging a subscription for. Nice. And that, uh, I mean, you obviously are uh, still around as a business and you have yep. employees. Yep. So I'm assuming that, yep. that that seems to go well. <laughs> yeah, it did really well. Uh, it was quite nerve wracking for about six months because we saw our revenues go down dramatically. Right. This was as expected, but still, like as part of the switch, the subscription, you're switching from a lot less upfront payments to a lot more like monthly payments that are going to build over time. So that was quite nerve wracking. But by about six months in, we could see it was working uh, and that our revenue was was going up and we were seeing a really bright future for Astropad. That's awesome. And so at what point did, you mentioned it earlier, but... Uh, you have another product called Luna Display that is a, it's an actual hardware. It's literally a piece of hardware that you ship to customers Yep. Uh, and they can use that to, to mirror their Mac on their iPad. So kind of going in, wait, yeah, I got, I said that right. Well, you can use it as a second display so you can use or right. uh, yeah, yeah. a second display for your, for your Mac. Not mirroring because you wouldn't draw on your Mac. <laughs> yeah. Astropad mirrors, Astropad mirrors. So when did when did this idea sort of form and then how did you how did you get across the finish line for making a real physical product yeah so that was pretty intense that was like another that was like our astropad 1.0 journey all over again <sighs> well how how it came about was a lot of people really wanted to use the um while they were using Astropad, they really wanted it also to act as a second display. So while they were drawing, they could get extra screen real estate, not just mirror, because Astropad is always mirrored. Right. Uh, what's what's on your main display? And I mean, this made a ton of sense to us. And we looked into how you could do it. And there was no APIs or there was no official way to do this, to be able to create a virtual second display through software only. 
there were some hacks out there. There were some kernel extensions, but they had major, major, major downsides. Yeah. And to build a product on that, that you need to support long-term yeah. is <laughs> scary. They were, they were using deprecated APIs. They didn't work right with, with uh, GPU acceleration. And remember, a bunch of our tech is GPU accelerated. And on top of that, when you're working in a creative program like Photoshop or a 3D program, I mean, you're really relying on the GPU. Right. To, to do a lot of that, that crunching for you. So that was really a no-go. So we were like, okay, how can we make this work? And we heard of people using, ah, gosh, I forgot what they're called, like dummy, like dummy dongles where you like plug it in for like, say you have like a Mac mini in a server room and you plug in this little dongle to show up as a, as a monitor. We're like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So we got some of these and we played around with them. We're like, huh, this is pretty neat. You can plug these in and all of a sudden, an extra screen shows up on your Mac. Okay, that's pretty neat. But they were always hard-coded to some like arbitrary screen resolution. Sure, they yeah. would never match the iPad. And so we're like, okay, this is this is pretty interesting though. What if we could do this? What if we made our own that we could program to match whatever screen size and resolution we wanted? Then we could use that with AstroPad. And so then what you could do is you could plug this, this hardware piece into your Mac. You'd get an extra screen. You'd get full GPU acceleration. It would act as a regular monitor does. No hacks, no weird gotchas, just the full experience of a second display. And then we can stream it to the iPad. And so this really started out as something we wanted to do for AstroPad to make that as like a new AstroPad feature. Um, but pretty quickly uh, into developing this hardware, we had uh, a contact from our time at Apple who worked on the hardware side of things at Apple. And he had also gone off and was doing his own company, but he kind of pointed us in the right direction of getting started and helped us. Their company actually helped us with the early prototypes of our Luna Display, what would eventually become our Luna Display hardware. And so uh, we started prototyping that. And as we were prototyping it, we realized that this was just a fantastic product in its own right. We're like, this is so useful. And it's useful in completely different ways. Completely different ways. AstroPad, who was targeted very specifically to like creative uses. Mm-hmm. And this was just, we just thought this was fantastic. And we're like, okay, this can no longer just be like a feature for AstroPad. Because we were really trying to come up with feature parity with like a Wacom Cintiq, right? Like we can do everything they can do. And of course, one of the things they can do is act as a second display. So we wanted AstroPad to be able to do that too. Well, now we're like, we've got this other awesome potential product on our hands. So not only should this work with AstroPad, but we should really make this be its own standalone product too. And that became Luna Display. And... We put a prototype together, and then we did a Kickstarter yeah. uh, for it. That was huge for us. What was the reason for Kickstarter? Well, it was we, we still felt like the idea of Luna Display was still kind of crazy. <laughs> We're like, is, is anybody going to pay for this, right? Like, is anyone actually going to buy this? We think it's super cool. We think it's awesome. Uh, we think it's a great product. We think it also makes AstroPad way better. But... Does anyone else feel that way, right? Do we have product market fit? And we thought Kickstarter was a great way to do that because while we had a prototype, manufacturing this thing was going to be a whole new level, whole new level yeah. of pain, whole new level of difficulty, whole new challenges, cost a ton of money as well. And we didn't want to go in and do that unless we could actually prove that people wanted this. Yeah, it'd be terrifying to invest that much money not knowing if anybody cared or if it was just fun to share on Twitter, but you wouldn't actually buy it. 
Yeah, yeah. And if we weren't going to be able to get the scale, if there wasn't going to be enough people interested, we were just not, we were just going to abandon the project at that point. Right. Um, we just, yeah, we we needed to make sure there was enough interest there. And it's also taking time away from you improving Astropad, right? Yeah, tons of time, tons of time away. And it was super, super difficult. Um you know, because we weren't we weren't people with hardware experience, so there was a lot we had to learn, which was fun because uh, it really pushed our boundaries, and we learned a ton about hardware products and hardware design and manufacturing. But yeah, it it was it was a lot. It was a real lot. But that changed when we did our Kickstarter, and our Kickstarter was a massive success for us, um, way beyond anything we had anticipated. Um, I'm trying to remember what the original amount was. I think it was. Like 650000 I want to say. Oh, yeah. It's probably still on there. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, obviously, similar uh, approach to making a slick video to show. Same thing. Yep. Which fits perfectly with the whole ethos of, of Kickstarter, right? Absolutely. So, we did the whole Kickstarter thing. We did a slick a video, did a nice campaign, put it up there. Um, much like our first Astropad launch, uh, you know, we sought out tech press. We, we, one thing we did that worked really well too, is we shipped, uh, demo units. We had prototype, little prototype units. Oh. They were really, really, uh, rough. They just looked like a raw circuit board, <laughs> but we shipped those actually to, uh, journalists. And so they're like, oh, this is pretty neat. And so they'd plug it in and play with it. And we got great coverage through that. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. And like they're going to be understanding of the fact that it's yeah an ugly prototype thing, right? Well, because it was so I'll, – I'll have to dig up a picture of it. But it was so obviously prototype that people were willing to cut us some slack as yeah. well. <laughs> and they were able to just see the potential in it. They're like, you know, this is working really well for a prototype. you know. And then it was also hard for them to ignore because it was not often that they were getting sent in the mail – prototype hardware so they're like yeah. wow this is pretty unique okay what is this i'm gonna check this out uh and that worked really well to generate buzz and excitement around astropad or uh lunar display and really got the got the uh the campaign off to a great start so at that point then and maybe before this uh you really had to start thinking about how do we how do we actually make these at scale yeah, that was pretty daunting. Um, I, I can't, I, it like hurts my brain to think about how uh, kind of scary that would be. Yeah, because yeah, we'd heard so many horror stories too. Because we, we got connected with others that had done Kickstarter campaigns. Um, and then again, we, we also had some help from our friend that had done hardware and was doing his own hardware startup and worked at hardware at Apple. So he knew a, a couple things about, you know, could kind of point us in the right direction. But still, it was it was it was hard. We we really lucked out, and and we got connected with uh, somebody that he's kind of like a liaison between us and a factory actually where they're manufactured in China, and he has just been awesome. And we really lucked out because we'd heard so many horror stories about getting things manufactured and. Um, factories not doing it right and and having to switch factories and just just being a very complex process yeah uh thankfully we we ran into somebody who was just it was like a word of mouth referral i think that um we we got connected with this person that had been manufacturing some other products uh giovanni he went over there he flew over to china he was there multiple times and met them and went to the factory and at the factory, went through multiple rounds of things. That was where they figured out, like, how are we going to do the plastics? How are we going to do 
uh, certification? How are we going to do all these aspects of a hardware hardware product? Um, and thankfully, you know, thanks to our uh, um, the person we that was in, he was actually in Hong Kong that we dealt with. Mm-hmm. He just did such a phenomenal job that that took a lot of the risk out of it for us. Yeah. And we were able to deliver our Kickstarter campaign. We were six months late on it. Which is like ahead of schedule in Kickstarter time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were ho- we were really hopeful we were going to be able to do it on time, but it became that supporting all the different Macs out there because we had two versions. We had USB-C and we had a mini DisplayPort version. And the mini DisplayPort version in particular gave us a lot of headaches. Mm. Um, and so we ended up having a test across pretty much every mini display Mac we could get our hands on. Do you still Do you still sell that one? Yeah, we do. We okay. do. Yeah, it's a lot less popular these days, but we still sell it and people buy it. Yeah, I mean, there's. I imagine there's still a lot of uh, a lot of inventory out there, or not inventory, but uh, ones in yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of old old Macs out there, and we added a feature too later. Uh, we call it Mac to Mac, where you can use an old Mac as a display as well, and so that's been really popular too. Yeah, so, yeah, especially as uh, iMacs yes. have lost target display mode. And so uh, yes, <laughs> once you totally. don't want to use that computer, it's just a giant, beautiful, unusable monitor. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that is that is definitely, I think, one of the cool use cases for uh, Lunar Display. So did you initially launch worldwide or like, because unlike the App Store where so much of that gets nicely abstracted away from you, uh, you have to deal with regulatory bodies, shipments, all of this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you handle that? Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah, so we did have a limited rollout. Um, we do support more countries now, but it was pretty much I want to say the EU and the US, Canada, I'm trying to remember where else. Um, but that was roughly where we started because yeah, there's different certification bodies for electronics as well. Thankfully our our partner in China helped us with that getting certified. And so we have the proper, um, certifications for the different countries. And then, um, also via a friend that did a Kickstarter, we got connected to a great, uh, third party fulfillment service. Ah, okay. That, and I, I handled that. I had to fly, fly down to Atlanta where they're based, meet with them, get things set up. And they handled the, uh, fulfillment of our initial Kickstarter. And really ever since then, they've handled our fulfillment and they are able to ship, you know, to the U S and to most countries in the world. Um, but that would have been exceptionally difficult had we not found the right, right people to, to help us. And it's getting easier all the time because of the rise of like Shopify and a lot of people Mm, doing more e-commerce like that. It's getting easier all the time. And there's more of these third party fulfillment services, but on our own, on our own, it would have been next to impossible. Yeah. It's cause you were still, how many employees did you have whenever you launched Luna? I mean, I not an exact number, but uh, about ten. Okay, so probably. you had well eight, maybe eight. Well, yeah, I would say eight, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had grown. We had some more. We had uh, some contract hardware people that were helping us with the Luna design. We had we had some software engineers on the team. Marketing and support was really, and then me and Giovanni and. We were really using Astropad Studio. We were using the money we were making from Astropad Studio to funnel the growth and and development of Luna. Yeah, that had kind of become your like stonewall 
it was yeah. a solid business at that point. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which became important when uh, <laughs> the the great uh, reckoning happened with uh, <laughs> <laughs> the great reckoning. The great reckoning of uh, so <laughs> Apple came out with a feature for the iPad and yep. Mac OS called Sidecar, which that's right. As the press would say, uh, totally Sherlocked Luna Display yeah. and replaced. Obviously, I think there's a. Well, there is definitely uh-huh. a very strong argument for why it didn't actually totally replace it. But in the eyes of, uh, if you're just looking at them, Apple came out with a built-in and free way to do a similar yep. thing. Yep. And yep. you all have covered this uh, quite a bit. You've written some blog posts, uh, which are amazing, and I'll link uh, in the show notes. But I think the thing that I'm like the most curious about is... <laughs> What was that like seeing that happen? Like, had you heard rumors leading up to it that this might happen? No, no. Um, we we heard the rumors pretty much the same time everybody else did, um, which was great. I had actually taken some vacation. My wife and I had gone to France and we were in Paris and this is the same time. Um, oh, gosh. What was the thing that burned there? I just totally. Uh, oh, uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Thank you. I don't know why okay. I spaced out on that. <laughs> you laughed and I was like, did I say something dumb? I can't remember. No, no, no. The, okay, good. <laughs> Notre Dame was burning and it's like, and then, and then shortly after it, it was like, um, we, we heard this rumor, uh, that Apple was doing sidecar and it was like, oh man, feels like everything's on fire right now. And that was a, a couple months after you had gotten Luna across the finish line, right? Yeah. Yeah. This was a, couple months and Luna had been doing really, really, really well, really well, um, was doing way better than even Astropad had done. Um, and just selling really, really well. We got covered by some YouTubers that just got us some great coverage, um, and really boosted sales for us. We had our, our black Friday was insane for us. It was our best, best sales day of all time still to this day. And things have been going really well. We were working on expanding the team further to kind of keep up with this demand. And we were building out more of a formal hardware team. And then that's when we heard that Apple was doing Sidecar. And we were particularly sore about this as well because behind the scenes, we had been in multiple discussions with Apple as well. They had had us fly out to the campus and present what we were doing to them. So they were fully aware of everything we were doing and they had promised support and um, had promised to help us with what we were doing and really encouraged us. And we saw them as helping a third party developer right? and also getting support from the app store. We just saw it as them helping improve their, their ecosystem. We were a bit naive in that because it turned out these same people we were talking to were also the people that were later involved in, in sidecar. <sighs> so while we were talking to them behind the scenes, they're actually working on copying it. Right. So we were pretty, we were pretty sore about that. Um, and it was quite devastating. It was quite devastating. It just felt like the, the floor completely dropped away beneath us. Um, and we didn't know what to, we didn't know what to expect. Luna sales went down a ton. It went down almost 10 X overnight. This was when it launched or when the rumors started coming out? Well, the rumors started to hit and started to hurt. Um, but when they announced it at WWDC and it was like a major headline feature, that's pretty much the day after that is when Luna sales went down about mm, 10x. Man. Astropad didn't yet, didn't take a hit yet. Um, but later it did. 
when Sidecar came out. And we took a really big hit on that. Uh, and we were just devastated. We were just devastated. And finally, us being on only one platform, Apple's platforms, had finally caught up with us. Yeah. Uh, and in hindsight, there were warning signs that we should have been paying attention to. We should have been more paranoid about it. Mm. Um, but we were so focused on the day-to-day -day and growing Luna and just holding on to what we had. It felt like Luna was this wild buck that we were just like yeah. holding on to and just trying to trying to keep things, just trying to keep the day-to-day -day going. And we had this massive code base. And we're like, how are we going to get this to other platforms? Like we knew we needed to. And even actually prior to that point, we there had been multiple, I guess I would call them skunk work projects mm. to try to... Um, like we spent a, quite a bit of time trying to get Objective C working on Windows with the GNU <laughs> Step project. With Microsoft had a project for a while too. I can't remember the name of it right now, but to use Objective C on on Windows. Okay. We played around with that. So there have been multiple projects, but none of them had really ever panned out. So we were just, I mean, for me, it felt like waking up from a nightmare. Literally, like the day after that WWC, like I woke up and I was like, "Man, was that a really bad dream? Ah. Was that a really really bad dream?" And he was like, no, that wasn't. This is reality. And it was like, oh, crap. Because it wasn't just Giovanni and I anymore. There were all these employees, too, on the team right. that depended on us. And we had contractors as well on top of that. So there's all these people that have been relying on us. And we're like, oh, no. Like, this is, <laughs> this is so scary. What are we going to do? So we pretty much immediately started an effort to develop for Windows. Pretty much the week after that WWC. It was like, all right, let's go. And Windows, Windows in particular first, presumably, because that's where the demand... Windows in particular. Okay. Windows in particular. Because we're like, you know, Apple side, has got Sidecar uh, for the Mac now. We're just going to have to stop really all significant updates on the Mac. We got to put everybody on getting us the Windows and just switch our focus overnight. Um, and actually, <laughs> I, even, I even started toting around a Windows laptop <laughs> at, at that point. I was like, nope, no more Mac. Like I was using Windows all the time. I was running around with that. Partially, I assume, to get used to the platform. But I, I, I imagine there's a little bit of spite in there uh, Oh, there was well. total spite. Yeah, <laughs> there was total spite. Yeah, it, it was both. It was. It was like, it had been a while since I'd been on Windows. So I needed to get used to that. But it was also like, yeah, sticking it to Apple in some right. way. And that's also when we started writing articles and kind of documenting what was happening happening to us and talking more openly about Sherlocking. Because as we later found out, this actually happens to a lot of companies. This is not a new thing. Yeah. Um, this is a lot, a lot of companies, companies significantly bigger than us as well. Um, and kind of how things had played out where Apple would talk with you and gather information and then kind of do their own thing was not really new or unique to us. But we were able to talk openly about it because most others had some kind of constraints that prevented them from talking about it. It was either um, they were still super dependent on Apple. I mean, we were still dependent on Apple, but they had hurt our business so bad at that point that we really felt like we didn't have much to lose. Right. Um, or their investors or there's a parent company that owns them or, you know, something. Or a separate business that's tied to Apple that you don't want to Separate risk. business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For some, you know, for lots of reasons, I totally understand. And many of these people I would talk to in private and they would tell me their stories. Um, and it was like, wow, that sounds familiar. But we were willing and able to talk about it openly. And so um, we did that leading up all the way to the um, House uh, Subcommittee on Antitrust contacting us and wanting to hear about our experience. And, um, 
if you go and look at the House uh, report on antitrust, there's actually a section in there in the report on Sherlocking. Which is um, like, which is pretty wild. It's obviously it matters, but uh, there's an element of like Sherlocking feels like this term from our weird little you know corner of yeah. the the universe, and to see yeah. it like expand into a very important uh, you know federal antitrust uh, case. Yeah, it was it, it was it was pretty amazing. I mean, the other reason we spoke out too is because even before we were speaking out, there was already a lot of pressure on big tech and right. Apple in particular. So kind of the we we sensed the way the winds were going and we're like, okay. There's some like, safety. We can speak yeah. out about this and yeah, there's going to be some safety in the press. And that feels, so like Sherlocking was a well-known term. Yeah. But at least speaking personally, I can't speak for the whole broader world, but I certainly did not realize that this practice of uh you know bringing people on and basically learning from the people that you're going to copy yeah was was a common practice and that feels that's where things get really nefarious because sherlocking was always like i feel really bad for these people but yeah you know the platform sometimes needs to build these things and like it would be worse if they never did this but uh i think that's i don't know i think that was probably a really big public good uh it probably has helped people you know, maybe not to your knowledge uh, already at this point. Well, yeah, no, I, and I and I hope so. Um, and it actually functions really similar to Amazon. What 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 I've learned is it's the same thing. Where Apple also has access to a lot of the analytics about what's doing well. Um, and I've found that they don't. This hasn't just happened to uh, apps on the App Store, but also to hardware makers selling stuff and Apple, the physical Apple stores as well too. Oh yeah, where they'll be like, oh, this is selling really well in our Apple stores. Can we integrate this more into our ecosystem? Can we, you know? So um, the difference too, when Sherlocking started, is Apple was a much, much, much smaller company and didn't control. Uh, one of the most important platforms in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and now phones become such essential parts of our everyday lives for everything we do. Everything involves our phones. Now our health data, our, um, exercise running, um, I, you name it, it's stored on our phones. Right. And so these are, these are super important devices in our lives. And, Apple has massive control over it. Right. So that that changes that changes the game I see as well compared to when kind of Sherlocking started and Apple was um, much, much smaller. You know, it kind of reminds me of Apple's kind of like this puppy that grew into a giant dog, but doesn't know it's a giant dog. <laughs> still wants to jump in your lap. Yeah, and, uh, it still thinks yeah. it's a puppy and acts that is like my a puppy, dog. right? I mean, he's not giant, yeah. but he's, uh, he's a basset hound, so he's heavy and uh, yeah. he's a snuggler. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally, totally. That's going to forever, uh, every time I think about uh, Apple as now the big player, that's going to be the mental image I have. Well, and I think, you know, the people on the inside too, they'd be like, they view themselves in that same way too. They're like, oh, we're still the scrappy upstart. Yeah. And you're like, well, no, not anymore. <laughs> you're huge now. So, uh, as you said then, this this whole experience uh, totally, you know, crystallize the direction that you need to take which was mm -hmm. we need to get on windows and we need to get, win get on windows yesterday so like mm -hmm. you said you had had a couple efforts to to try and figure this out but not mm -hmm. obviously uh fully formed what what was your approach then from the get-go was it let's try a hundred different things or did you really pick one and just go all in on this idea yeah we picked one 
um, uh, engineer on our team, Jeremy, came with, uh, he'd been dabbling with this language, Rust. And he was like, you know, I think this could be a really good option for us to develop our Cortec liquid cross-platform. And uh, we kind of ran with that. He he was like really excited about it. It seemed like a great opportunity. And we had to go forward with a essentially a full rewrite. We had really exhausted the other options. We had tried to use what we already had. And we knew that in order to actually make this work, that we were going to have to redo it in something that was more cross-platform than Objective-C and kind of the Cocoa UI kit frameworks. Man. So we went all in because we knew that that was, that was it. That was the one remaining way we could make this go. And we really had no other choice. And uh, I saw it was like a week or two ago, right? Was your first public beta release for the Windows yeah. version of, is it AstroPad or is that Luna? <laughs> Yeah, it's Astropad. Okay. Um, we're calling it Project Blue. It's our pu- free public beta of Astropad for Windows. And it's been almost two years now we've been working on it. Oh, man. And it's <laughs> close to close to a, a ground-up rewrite of the whole thing with the core engine being in Rust. But it's turned out really, really well. And now we've got this really solid platform we can build on in the future so we can develop our products that are cross-platform on both Windows and, and a Mac the other thing that's been good is since Sidecar came out, we've found these areas that we really excel in that Sidecar doesn't. And so it, it we've really stabilized the business as well. So, and in fact, in, in recent months, it's actually been growing on the Mac side of things as, as we add new capabilities and new features and uh, that Sidecar doesn't have. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always the advice for you know, app developers, whenever you get Sherlocked is, uh, you know, know that Apple has a particular thing that they're targeting, which is yep. mass market, not very deep. It's wide. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess it's a similar thing probably for you on the, the more hardware end of things you were sidecar is not targeted at creative professionals. Mm-hmm. And so that's an area where you have an expertise that, uh, you can really go all in and like, there's a low risk of Apple really following too deep, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and we still even want to go deeper there and, you know, really spend the time to make it work really well with certain programs. Like an area we'd love to explore more in the future is 3D programs, making it work better with 3D mm, programs. Because yeah. we've really traditionally been focused on 2D drawing programs, but there's a whole world of 3D stuff out there, especially on the Windows side now for us too. Yeah, and almost everybody, it seems like, uses uh, uh like Wacom tablets for yep. 3D work and 3ds Max or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and so that's been really good for us. Like a lot of our customers have stuck with us. We've heard from many customers that have gone over to Sidecar and they're like, "Oh, I really miss such and such feature. I'm back." It's a good feeling. Or this thing doesn't work as well. Yeah, no, it's a great feeling. Um, and so knowing that we can do that, that we can expand that, we can build in features that Sidecar is not going to have, and also go cross plat- platform with it too. So go go deep and go multi-platform and really have a, a good future ahead of us for both both Astropad and Luna. And not to, you know, dive into future products or whatever, but sure. Is it even like a feasible thing to to attempt to target uh, like Linux or other platforms or is that does it get so fragmented at that point that it would be kind of an insane thing to invest in? Uh, I would say it's possible if you 
maybe targeted specific distros or specific right. setups on Linux. It could be, uh, but we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, <laughs> but your engine, at least, it sounds like would be yeah. transportable or portable. Yeah, totally. And we we've even had some internal stuff that almost runs on on Linux. Um, nothing that's like production worthy. Right, right. But yeah, because of the the core, because it works on Mac and it works on Windows. It is certainly feasible. It could um, could work on Linux. We'll just have to see where where the customers take us, what they're really interested in, what the the big requests are in the future. That's awesome. Yeah, and it sounds like you are on a. I mean, you were on a stable ground before. It's just that the stable ground got jackhammered away. Uh, but it sounds like you're on a stable ground, not on a uh, a platform provider that can yank the rug out from under you. Yeah, yeah. And we've been able to like repair it to over the, you know, and get ourselves back on stable ground over the past almost two years since, well, it's just been about two years since the first rumor of Sidecar came out. And we weren't sure at the time if that was going to happen. But thankfully, yeah, we have been able to have been able to do that. And, you know, our Mac products are still doing well or are going to continue to stick around. That is, I, I just feel like this is such a cool story. Uh, and it has a happy ending, which helps. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is nice now because for a long time we didn't really know. Yeah, we didn't really know what the ending was going to be. You've had, I mean, three major uh, like heads down, just really deep diving into something that you weren't even one hundred percent sure was possible with the original AstroPad, Luna, and then moving everything over into Windows. So uh, yeah, it's very true. That's very true. In a short company history, I feel like you you have major arcs uh already yes we do major up and downs for sure but uh it's I, honestly it's really inspiring and uh, i've i've really appreciated the the blog posts uh just they've been really inspiring and uh like set a good tone for you know a good way of running a business or, or thinking about the future so i i really appreciate that yeah no thanks thanks i appreciate that it's good to know people are out there reading them too yeah <laughs> So I guess uh, to wrap things up, I'll uh, ask you the question I ask everybody at the end here, which is uh, what's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you recommend other people check out? Yeah, yeah. This is a great question. And you did give me some time to think about it. I I know on some of your guests, (laughs) I have less time, but he gave me more time. And I was thinking um, of, uh, so a couple, a couple people that uh, I've really been inspired by um, the checkout. Uh, check out on on Twitter as well is um, Michael Fogelman. Uh, he's a developer and also I, w- I would consider him like an, he's an artist. He does these amazing projects uh, and I, I love seeing what he's working on. He's done a wide range of projects from things like building a NES emulator to doing a clone of Minecraft to doing all these um, uh, you know programmatic art as well, where, uh, generate, um, just lots of really cool visualizations and, uh, you can find him at Fogelbird on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found him and he's got this amazing, he even has a lot of the, the products he does as well. He's turned into art that you can actually buy on his site. Oh, that's cool. Really cool. Different things. He works in just a wide range of languages uh, kind of crosses the discipline also between programming and just pure creativity and art. And so I just love to see what he's, what he's developing. The guy is amazingly productive. I don't know how he does it. Um, so I'm always inspired to see what, what he's doing. 
another one I, I love to see is Noel Berry, um, who does, he's a game developer, one of the people that did Celeste, which is oh, this yeah. uh, platformer. And the guy has just mastered the art of building games and just to see him put some put some pixels together and start to code something up and just see how quickly he can put a like a platformer together that just looks fantastic is is always always inspiring yeah celeste is i mean it's like a work of art uh <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing An- another one too in the related space is um eric barone I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, I know sure. I know this name. I feel like I should know who this is. He's the sole creator of Stardew Valley. Oh, yes, yes. And um, he did the art. He did the music. He did the programming. He did the, the story. He did everything. And the game is just an absolute masterpiece. So it's just amazing what, oh, what some of these solo... Well, I guess Noel Berry wasn't solo, but still a very small team can put together. Yeah. And um, another one, too, is um, Peter Steinberger. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just awesome to see what he's built with his company, um, which I'm totally blanking on the name of his company right now. Uh, well, uh, it's... Yeah, what's the name of... Is it... It's it's the P- PDF company. Yeah. Uh, PSPDF Kit. That's it. PSPDF Kit. They sell this um, a framework for doing, doing work with PDFs, and it's just amazing to see how many platforms they've built it across, the companies they've built. They've managed to bootstrap. As far as I know, they're mostly bootstrapped or entirely bootstrapped. Um, a really sizable company. And uh, it's great to, to see that, to see what he's been able to build. And then he still manages to get into lots of interesting technical details, too, that he yes. yeah. posts, posts on Twitter. And um, the last one is uh, George Pechnig who was one of the founders of 53 and they did paper and they did pencil ah. and they did a bunch of the early creative software on, um, on the iPad. And so they were always a huge inspiration to us at Astropad as well. We were always blown away, blown away by what they were doing. We were also really inspired by how they were another company that started as software and did hardware as well. So we were obviously very inspired by that as well. We also started to dabble in the hardware space. We've actually reached out to them too. And George has always been a huge supporter as well. So it's always great to see what what he's up to. He's now um, just recently taken a job. He's like the uh, head of product now for the New York Times. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool to see. I, I've grown to really love this section uh, of this podcast, especially having it at the end because... I feel like a lot of times hearing these things that, that you say after hearing your story, you can see where those inspirations kind of plug in. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, totally. It, yeah. It, I mean, we all are building on the shoulders of giants or whatever the Absolutely. phrase is. Uh, and it's really cool to hear the giants, the shoulders that, that uh, these people are building on. Well, and so many of these people as well offered advice to us along the way as well. Um, even people I mentioned earlier, like, how did we get started with our hardware project, right? Like, we wouldn't have been able to do it without the help of others. There were people that offered their time and their advice to help us, to point us in the right direction, because these were new things that we didn't have experience with. Um, and so it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it, as you say, we're, we're truly building on the the. the the shoulders of giants we're truly building on the show on on top of the work other people have done before us that's awesome all right well uh i guess to wrap up then where can people find you and uh and your company yeah so you can find my company at astropad.com 
Um, you can also find me on Twitter at M Rungi, M R O N G E is probably where I'm most active. And then I've also got a podcast of my own called Building Astropad. Oh, yeah. Where I kind of narrate behind the scenes of what we're doing, uh, kind of the decisions we're making. And we actually have a whole de- in depth series on our Kickstarter. Are uh, doing our recent Kickstarter. We have going into the story of being Sherlock and how he reacted to that. You know, so we're really trying to document things as well, kind of document our company journey as well on that podcast as well. So check that out if you want to learn want to learn more about what we're up to at Astropad. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming. Uh, I know I went a little extra long on this one, but I was kind of just uh, indulging myself because. I know there's a lot packed in here. And so uh, this was extremely exciting uh, for me. Yeah, no, it was great. And uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. Thank you.